WB, William Haynes here. You are there at 7 o'clock on this Monday night. Tomahawk Talk is live from the WVFS studio, Tallahassee, Florida, 420 Diffenbaugh. A reminder that the opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. A couple other reminders as well. Be sure to follow us on social media at V89Sports on Twitter and on Instagram. And also, we are taking calls for the first time in quite a while. We have a line open and would love to hear from you at 850-644-1837. You got any thoughts about FSU? Their football team will take the field for the first time in a couple weeks or some other FSU sports on the slate. And then uh, myself and the man to my left, um, we'll introduce in a second. We will be talking about Major League Baseball and uh, some NFL predictions as well. So a great show uh, lined up for everyone tonight. I am back in person for good. You can say goodbye to the summer shows, the Zoom recordings, this and that. We are back in the studio in Tallahassee, and it's great to be uh, behind these wonderful microphones that we are sitting behind. Um, and then I also want to just take a moment uh, as far as the summer shows go to thank everyone who was a part of doing it. Uh, I did not host that the summer shows every single week. We had um, people like Brett Rutherford, like Ryan Kelly, uh, even Sebastian Angel Riano did a show. So thanks to everyone that was a part of that and keeping this show on the air every week. Uh, but without further ado, this is William Haynes and the man I'm sitting in with uh, tonight, Max Rundy. Max, it's good to have you back as well. It's great to be back. Nothing better than talking FSU sports, some baseball, and being back in this wonderful studio full of some uh, interesting art, to say the least. It is. It's it's unique. I'm, I'm always taken aback every time I come in here. There's all kinds of posters and whatnot on the walls, but... Uh, Every time we talk and throw it out, you you did uh, media relations this summer. You're actually still doing it for the, the Birmingham Barons, which is the Chicago White Sox uh, minor league affiliate. So uh, as that season is kind of somewhat coming to a close, just tell us uh, how has that been? What's it like and, and all that? Well, honestly, it was it was quite a fun time. It was an experience of a lifetime, you could say. It was a lot of work, but a lot of fun. The team itself uh, started out pretty hot. In the second half but uh cooled down as of late because of this uh cincinnati reds double a organization the chattanooga lookouts had themselves a week against us this past week and we'll get more into that later because of some major trades that happened in baseball yeah that is true the reds loaded up on uh, <laughs> all sorts of prospects i know we talked at the beginning of the year they were on track to be one of the worst regular season teams ever i don't think they're going to be quite that bad but uh they're definitely playing for the future there's uh, no question about that. But uh, without further ado, as, as we start to dig in to this week's show, I just have a couple of things that I, I want to bring notice to. The first of which is today marks uh, one year to the date that uh, Coach Bobby Bowden passed away. And uh, in, in the city of Tallahassee, no figure more uh, monumental than him and, and how much he meant uh, to the city, to the university, all that. Uh, I was at practice today at, at fall camp, and, and Coach Norvell was asked about um, Bobby Bowden. And I, and I have uh, uh, his quotes here. I'll, I'll play it for you just in a moment because I thought, um, you know, we, we talk about Coach Bowden and his legacy all the time, but uh, I, I really don't think you could have put it any better than, than Coach Norvell did. Without further ado, uh, I'll play that. I mean, it's, it, it's, a, it's a daily focus. Um, you know, Coach Bowden 
you know, he, he, he helped establish you know, such an incredible, incredible uh, tradition, uh, legacy, you know, uh, standard of, of operations here at Florida State. And, um, you know, today, you know, obviously signifies a year since, you know, since his passing, but, you know, it's still a... We might uh, have a little bit of trouble uh, playing that, so I do apologize uh, for that. But we did actually tweet it out if you want to go look at V89Sports uh, on Twitter. Um, <clears throat> but without uh, saying anything anything else, I mean, it's uh, on, a, on a day like today, it, it's certainly on our minds. And uh, even though the uh, the football team is, is practicing in, in fall camp and everything's the full rage, but uh, you, you can't ever forget your past in, in Norvell. Uh, talked a lot about that and uh, the other shout that we wanted to give uh, the, the great Vin Scully passed away last Tuesday uh, at 94 years of age um, if you're not familiar with Scully or his work I mean where have you been 67 years uh, calling Dodger games in Brooklyn and in Los Angeles uh, he did it from 1950 all the way to, to 2016 he called you know uh, I think over 10 World Series NFL football uh, even did golf. I mean, Max, we're, we're both super into baseball. I mean, what what Scully meant, you know, for for sports broadcasting, for baseball, all of it. I mean, it, it can't be understated. Uh, I don't think there's a single announcer or broadcaster out there that hasn't at least looked up to the career and the life that that man lived. And one thing that really goes to show just about how powerful his voice was and how impactful he was, not only was he a solo crew, in the sense that he had no color commentator the entire time he was doing these broadcasts, he was so impactful. People refused to attend games in person without bringing a transporter radio with them to listen to him because they truly could not enjoy Dodgers games the same without listening to Vin Scully. I mean, that's just absurd to think about nowadays that you would go to a live baseball game and still listen to it on the radio while you're there, even dealing with the possible delay. I heard one story this past week that at one point so many people were listening and tuning in on the radio while he was uh, calling games at the Coliseum out in L.A. before they built Dodger Stadium that he had to announce over the loudspeakers that they needed to turn down their radios because of all the feedback that was coming in. Yeah, I mean, if, if that doesn't put put it into perspective about what he meant, I don't know what else would. I, I You also hear stories about people that lived in Los Angeles d during his run as a broadcaster and and there would be families of Dodgers fans that you know they have the, the TV in the home but they don't they don't watch the Dodger games on TV that they just listen to the radio because they really felt that the voice of Vince Scully painted the picture of a game better than literally seeing it on TV can you believe that I mean they say radio you're supposed to paint a picture and and TV you're supposed to give a picture a caption and the fact that he could do both so brilliantly is so hard to do, and he, he mastered the craft, and there's no better way to put it. Yeah, there's no question about that. He'll, he'll very much be missed. Uh, he was not uh, much of a public figure after he stepped away from the Dodgers. Uh, we didn't hear very much from him, but I'm glad that he was able to, to spend uh, you know, the, the, the greater part of a, of a half decade, the final part of his life with his family and all that, because we know how much that meant to him. One note on Vince Scully that I found preparing for the show that I thought was interesting and in, in how it pertained to us. When he was at, at Fordham University way back, I, I guess in the 40s, he was one of the founding members or, or part of founding the Fordham University radio station, WVUF. So I think that's pretty cool that here we are on, on student radio talking sports and 
all those years ago, what, 70, 80 years ago, uh, Vin Scully uh, did the same. So, uh, Mr. Scully, you'll be missed. Uh, I know I'm not close to the only person that, that feels that way. The, the mark that you left on the industry of sports broadcasting and everything else. Uh, I mean, just the stories he told during broadcasts. I mean, it, it's all of it. Not just how he paints the game, but, you know, you play 162 games. Each game is three hours, give or take. That's a lot of air time to fill. Um, each and every night, and, and he did it with ease uh, with all the stories he would weave in and out um, of the broadcast. Um, on to our next note, uh, the FSU football team, they, uh, the fall practice is raging on. They had their 10th practice today. This was uh, the start of the third week of fall camp. They had their first scrimmage on Saturday. It was close to the media, but they had uh, some media availability interviews with coaches and whatnot afterwards. Uh, Co-defensive coordinator Adam Fuller, said uh, the defense was good, maybe some room for improvement, tackling and everything, and, and that makes sense because most of the practices you're not you know, fully tackling, you just kind of wrap up, so when you go to the full contact, for the first time, I, I could understand why that would be an issue. Uh, I was at practice today, the first practice of fall that I was able to attend, and it was great to see uh, everyone out there. The team looks good. Um, Coach Norvell was, was talking in his media availability after practice today, and he said this is where it really begins. I think they just went into into pads at, at the beginning of last week, but he said, uh, you know, this is our move week. He said this these next couple weeks, he said, is, is going to define the direction of, of where the team goes. And so there are only a few weeks, August 27th, Saturday at 5 o'clock against uh, the Duquesne Dukes, I believe. So uh, it's getting here shortly, but um, uh, from my perspective, it looks like all, all is good in the fall camp side of things. Sam McCall, uh, by the way, I just wanted to mention this. He was the, the top prospect in the previous class. I think he was the uh, the second or third ranked athlete nationally, one of the best defensive backs in the state of Florida. And as I said, kind of the prize gem of the last recruiting cycle. He is, is looking really good. He uh, talked in his media availability today, and I put a, a, a quote, a video out on uh, at V89 Sports on Twitter if you haven't seen it already but um he was saying you know he he's he's ready to roll with the big dogs he's ready to roll with the ones i i thought it was kind of funny he uh he mentioned that the coaches wanted to see him hit a little bit better and the way he kind of slyly put it was uh, he's uh, I, I think the, the coaches got what they wanted to see so <laughs> a guy in in mccall that that's a big name and and he's brimming with confidence right now too i think um hopefully it's a sign of better things when it comes to this defense which Definitely had some problems last year, but despite missing out on the big name Travis or uh, yeah Travis Hunter to uh, Jacksonville State or Jackson State, um, I, I do think this defense will be improved and will showcase a little bit more maturity than they have in the past. I do worry slightly about our pass rush after losing Jermaine Johnson, but I think uh, I think defense will be the clear strong suit. I think uh, this offense will be the the big question mark, as it usually is, as we got uh, Jordan Travis moving into yet another year where he is the standalone quarterback, I would say. And he's shown flashes. As long as he can get a healthy old line in front of him, he can really show off some stuff that is very, very high-quality football. Not just as a runner, but he can really sling it, too, if given time. And the biggest if, I would say, if his receivers can get open. Absolutely. I, I would agree with that, with what you said on pretty much every front. 
Jordan Travis from the very go, I mean, transferred from Louisville. And when he was uh, with the Cardinals, he was pretty much a run only guy, wildcat, uh, read option, stuff like that. And when he came to FSU, um, when, when Willie Taggart was still the coach, he was doing kind of the same thing. And from the very go, um, you saw how electric of a runner he was, and that, that's still certainly his, his greatest threat is what he can do to the defense with his legs. But you're right. I mean, this is uh, his third year as a starting quarterback as he's, you know, g getting improved more and more. Uh, coach Norvell said that there was a, a bug going around and that maybe he wasn't feeling his best in practice today with whatever kind of bug is circulating, which um, I, I just think is funny uh, to think about. But um he's he's certainly an x factor in what this team is, is going to do and you mentioned uh, the, the pass rush on the defensive side of the ball with the loss of jermaine johnson there's still some really big names fabian lovett tore it up in practice today he's been having a really good fall i think the interior of the defensive line is really good they also have uh, jared verse uh, the transfer from albany who was uh, one of the one of the top juco transfers in the country and and not a not a one-for-one -one replacement for jermaine johnson obviously but he's a guy that um, I think could play as well. So, as I said uh, a little bit earlier, I think I think the team is, is shaping up really good, and uh, I'll continue to give reports uh, on social media. Going to hopefully get some some WordPress articles out as well, and then of course every Monday night at seven o'clock, leading into the football season, we will be talking about fall camp and all that. They're going to go to uh, the UNF campus for a couple days in Jacksonville, and, and I'll be over there um, checking out that as well. So I won't be missing. Uh, any of the action but uh, now our, our next item of news uh, Max every time we we hook up on this show we've got to talk some baseball some Major League Baseball and um, one, one of the more monumental days of the season occurred since we last spoke and that that would of course be the trade deadline and one of the biggest deals of all time they're saying I don't know that I would go that far but it was uh, certainly monumentous to this season the San Diego Padres acquire outfielder Juan Soto and first baseman Josh Bell from the, the Washington Nationals for a slew of prospects. Mackenzie Gore, who's seen as one of the, the top pitching prospects. C.J. Abrams, a great shortstop. Robert Hassel in the outfield and a, a couple of other prospects as well. Uh, we talked when it came out that the Nationals offered him $450 million, turned it down. And so, he, you know, they, they said, we got to get rid of him if he's not going to stay. And uh, the Padres cashed out for one of the best players in baseball. William. Once again, the season of MLB. Check the receipts, baby. Oh my gosh. Who said, who said, who was that? Who was that really smart man just a couple weeks back that said Juan Soto will be a San Diego Padre? You did, Max. That's you right. Did. That is right. And folks, this might be the best trio in baseball, at least in the 2000s, I would say. In this 21st century, I mean, I can't think of a trio better than. Fernando Tatis, Juan Soto, and Manny Machado. This immediately puts them up there as arguably one of the best offenses in recent history. And you gotta, you can't forget, they acquired Josh Bell. Josh Bell has a higher batting average than Juan Soto this year. His OPS is only like 20 points lower. I mean, Josh Bell is an absolute massive upgrade on Eric Hosmer and Luke Voigt. Switch hitter, you can get rid of both of them. It doesn't matter. This guy's a stud. Oh. They're not done. Wait, they added Drury from the Reds. This guy's having a year. He's the first one of the, the group that hit a home run, and not just any home run. Slam Diego, grand slam. But the cherry on top, and my family, reigning from Wisconsin, will feel this one 
deep in their souls. They added the best closer in baseball, maybe behind Edwin Diaz in Josh Hader. Now, of course, Hader's had a bit of a, a down, downfall as of late with a over 10 ERA in the month of July. But this man is a bona fide stud, arguably the best Randy Johnson one-two fastball slider duo in pitching. And I, it's just so crazy to think a team went this far in and they're still very far back. Yeah, I want to talk about Hader in a second because the, the Soto trade, I think there's still um, some to unpack here. I'll mention this as well, kind of on the tails of what you just said to finish your, your point. The Padres are three and four since acquiring Soto and Bell. They got swept um, in, in Los Angeles against the Dodgers this past weekend. So that that's what's insane to me is that I, I know Fernando Tatis Jr. is not back yet. He just started his, his minor league rehab assignment uh, a few days ago, but... You're going to have a lineup with Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, Juan Soto, Josh Bell, Brandon Drury, who is out of baseball, I think, in, before the season started, and now he's, he's uh, one of the hottest hitters going. They've got the starting rotation with, with all kinds of names people know, Darvish, Snell, um, Joe Musgrove, who just got a huge payday. And they are still, what are, what are they back? Fifteen and a half. Fifteen and a half games of the Dodgers. How is that even conceivable that you have that all-star roster and you're over 15 games back of your division. What do you, I mean, I understand that, especially with the added wild card, the playoff picture is different than it has been in years past, but you're going all in, and you have conceivably no chance of even winning this division. But they, they cashed out with this move. And they're, they're clinging on to that wild card spot. Currently, you got Atlanta, who has a three and a half game lead on them, and you got the Phillies with a half game lead on them. Shocking. Did not expect that when I Googled the uh, standings today. And then you got the Brewers, the aforementioned Brewers, who just casually conceded the NL Central at this deadline, but that we can get into a little bit later. This is a team that, as you mentioned before, show very well might just miss the playoffs, despite having what I already call the best trio in hitting. Like, it's just wild to think a franchise that is not accustomed to going all in like this, not a, a franchise that's not accustomed to paying their players as much as they're pushing the pay right now and they're still like not sitting pretty in the nl the nl has been stacked this year with the dodgers and the mets leading the way and even with all these names on that paper it might not be enough now the good thing about this soto deal is you get two and a half years out of them i truly don't think the padres can even afford to re-sign soto so this is an interesting deal in the sense that everyone's saying oh they have three postseasons I'd say they have two because I think it'd be dumb of them to not at least move them with that half year left, assuming they're not front runners in the NL West. Sure. If they don't move them, though, they give up the seven guys they just gave up and get nothing in return outside of three failed postseason runs. How would you evaluate the, the package that, that San Diego gave up that Washington gets back? I mean, Mackenzie Gore considered one of the top pitching prospects, C.J. Abrams. I mean, I mean... Just, just give me your thoughts on, on, on kind of what a kind of a return that is, maybe from Washington's side even. I would say this. People sleep on prospects, but also they rightfully so sleep on prospects. It's a, it's a bit of a yin and yang where there are some guys that are bound to be great, bound to be great, and you can just tell. But then there are some where you just don't know. Sometimes they're just like that in double A, single A, and they just can't develop it 
that long or they lose their interest in baseball to some extent. You definitely see that in the minor league level that some guys are just there because they can play baseball, but they're not trying to excel any further than that. And I think if you grade this package, it's a win-win trade. The Nationals had to get rid of them. Whether they had to get rid of them this year is a bit debatable, but they got, I would say, four bona fide MLB players. I think Mackenzie Gore will be their number one guy in that rotation, assuming he can remain healthy and ultimately become what everyone thought he should become. And I think C.J. Abrams is a pretty big question mark in this because you move, you look at his AAA stats and he was slugging like crazy. He was, he was the number one prospect in baseball. Then he comes up with Tatis Hurt and he's not really doing much. He's losing his job out to Kim and Cronenworth. It's, He's the question mark. I think he is the big name. And the two outfielders they got, I've heard a lot of good things about. I would say those two are their new corner outfielders. Even if even if this trade, I, I don't even know if you could use the phrase pans out for Washington because you give up one of the one of the greatest young players, only 23 years old. People are comparing him to Ted Williams with the way that he sees the strike zone. All of this, World Series champion. And that's exactly it. The Washington Nationals, 2019, just a few years ago, World Series champs. And the entire roster is gone. They traded Trey Turner to Max Scherzer to the Dodgers last year. They lose Soto this year. Rendon leaves in free agency. Um, and the guys that they paid to keep around, Steven Strasburg, who can't even stay healthy, he can't even pitch, and Patrick Corbin, who has an ERA, I think, north of eight or nine, can't even get out of the first inning his last couple starts. I mean, we we like to talk about in, insufferable uh, fan bases and, and, you know, the Cleveland Browns of the past and, um, you know, you know the New York Jets, name whatever kind of team that, that's long-suffering, the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, maybe before LeBron. But the Washington Nationals, imagine being a fan of this team. I mean, how you see them win the ultimate prize and then every player that they came to know to love just wiped away from them. I mean, it's wow. It's got to be one of the sadder stories in baseball, but you know what I do appreciate about this? And you, I'll say this. This is a theory I hold more true in the NBA than the MLB, but you got to respect the full commitment to a retool or a full commitment to a tank, as some might call it. It's a little bit harder to call something tanking in baseball because prospects don't pan out as easily as they do in the NBA, I would say. Um, but he, here, I can move into our next point a little bit in this sense. Think about a team like Seattle. Seattle has never truly commit to a retool. And you, I'd almost argue it's worse to be that fan base. They haven't been to the playoffs since 01. And this team is going all in. And I don't know if their window is per se open right now. I think they have a very talented young team, but I don't see it happening unless you see Suarez and Winker really pick up those bats because they're missing the slugging right now and they went all in on Castillo and I mean all in on Castillo I just don't see it being enough whereas the Nationals they went all in on we're about to lose all these guys let's get rid of them and get something back I'd see the Nationals being more relevant sooner than I see the Seattle Mariners going to the World Series you speak of the Seattle Mariners and I think they they can they kind of came out of left field in a way i don't know that they were considered to be major players for a, a big deadline piece but they require right-handed starter luis castillo from the cincinnati reds for four prospects and i i'm interested to see your thoughts on this um 
Noel V. Marte and Edwin Arroyo, the Mariners' number one and three prospects, respectively, along with uh, Levy Stout, their number five prospects. Um, I use the word cashing in <laughs> with the Padres, but the, 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 the Seattle Mariners quite literally gave up the farm for Luis Castillo. I know the Yankees, um, they wanted him in pinstripes so badly, they settled for Montas from Oakland. Um, but the Mariners, uh, they, they have the longest postseason drought in professional sports, and they think this is going to be the guy that maybe gets them back to the promised land of October. I think, um, folks, you're not ready for this. I love the Cincinnati Reds. <laughs> they did something special at the deadline. They... They're going to be good. They're going to be real good real soon. And they got some guys in this deal that I haven't even seen. And they're the bigger names. You mentioned, what What was the number three prospect? Uh, Edwin Arroyo. Edwin Arroyo and Marte, Noel V. Marte, I have yet to see. But I hear great things about those guys. I can speak highly, though, on Levi Stout and what is his first name? Uh, his last name is Encarnacion Strand. These are two guys they picked up, and they both went to Chattanooga Lookouts, an in-division rival of my Birmingham Barons. And they just so happened to be in Birmingham this past week for my last week up there. And let me tell you this. They're studs. They're both absolute studs. Number one, Levi Stout comes in and faces the Southern League's best offense in Birmingham, Five innings, two hits, no walks, six strikeouts. As good as it gets in double-A. You're not seeing guys go eight-plus. You're not seeing that. You're seeing five, six, and this guy was immaculate. Strand, Encarnacion Strand, is a big boy. He is a corner infielder who will take anyone deep at any given time. But someone not included in this deal that I just have to bring up. Folks, you need to look up the name Ellie De La Cruz. He is the number three prospect now in the Cincinnati Reds organization. He was signed as an international prospect for $60,000. That's a low amount for an international prospect. He's probably the best player I've seen all summer. He is faster than most people, I would say, in the MLB. He is 6'5 shortstop. He's O'Neill Cruz Jr but better. Give him two years. This guy, switch hitter, kills the ball. Get this, William. I'm going to end my rant. I apologize. He had three straight hits, a triple, an inside the park home run, and a double. The exit velocities, 112, 112, 113. He, on the inside park home run, saw our infielder lobbing it in, just took home, no problem. Was safe by a mile, wasn't even close. It's just unbelievable. And I, I, this is another team. They fully commit to the retool. And I'm telling you right now, especially in a bad NL Central, the Reds are going to be good in the next two, three years. Guaranteed. So you're buying Cincinnati Reds stock. Something that's, that's interesting to me about this trade is um, in spring training after the lockout, when teams were allowed to make moves again, when they couldn't for most of the winter, where you see a lot of trades, there, there was a, a spending spree, a kind of, you know, players going like hotcakes. The Oakland A's had a fire sale. They sold off um, Chris Bassett and Matt Chapman and uh, all these guys. 
the Cincinnati Reds, their one bargaining chip was Luis Castillo. And, um, you know, the, the conventional wisdom, you know, one year is better than half a year as far as what kind of return you're going to get back for a guy. But I think the Reds, by, by playing Luis Castillo, by keeping him in a Cincinnati Reds uniform, he had an ERA under three. He represented the team in the All-Star game. I wonder if his performance, I know he had like seven shutout innings in Yankee Stadium. I wonder if by holding on to him for, for a couple extra months, the Reds got back an even better return because, as I mean, they, they, they took away pretty much <laughs> the Seattle Mariners' like top five prospects. Casual. So do you think that that played a part in it by holding on to him, they got maybe a better return than they would have? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because like you said, there was a fire sale once this lockout ended. And Cincinnati did something bold. And they'll... The Athletics did the same thing with Frankie Montas, but it didn't pan out as well. Montas has not been pitching as well as you would think Montas would be. Castillo, on the other hand, bona fide ace, I would say. Maybe not on the uh, Seattle Mariners. They got a pretty good staff at this point. But Castillo really, really increased his stock this past three, four months. And it's just astonishing to see how much the Mariners gave up. And this is why I was going on that little rant about why I would be almost more happy as a Nationals fan than a Mariners fan. I mean, you are banking on a year. You're banking on the rest of this season to go perfectly, perfectly to come out of the American League. And you're also missing your near home run derby champion, Julio Rodriguez, with a thumb injury. It's their offense is not it. Their offense is not it. And getting Castillo helps. But it doesn't help enough that you're better than the Astros, who are your in-division rivals, let alone the Yankees. Yeah, we talk about the, the Padres maybe being a little uh, over-aggressive and the Seattle Mariners perhaps the same. We'll see if they're able to get back to the playoffs. Uh, I think the, the, the wild card race in the American League is not quite as intense as the National League, but there's still a couple months uh, left to be played out. But... With that being said, we're going to take a break. Second half of the show, we're going to be talking some NFL football, getting you ready for the 2022 season. William Haynes with Max Rundy. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on 89.7 FM, the voice of Florida State. Tomahawk Talk, 89.7 FM, William Haynes, Max Rundy, 850-644-1837, your number to call to talk sports with us. We gave you the, the trade deadline, uh, everything going on in Major League Baseball right now, but probably the biggest story in sports in a lot of people's eyes, the National Football League. Training camp started a, a couple weeks ago, and uh, as we look ahead, I mean, we have a show Next week that we have, uh, you know, some FSU soccer and volleyball maybe to preview and talk about. And, uh, you know, there may be a development with football. You never know what the news is going to be. And then, of course, uh, August 22nd, we're previewing the Duquesne game and the FSU football season. So um, even though we're about a month away from real NFL regular season games, I think this is our best chance uh, to talk about it. So I want to do 
just that, Max. And we'll, we'll go kind of division by division and, and talk about all the teams where we see them playing out a kind of a comprehensive uh, analysis of the league as a whole. So we'll start on the AFC side and we'll start with um, the AFC East. The Buffalo Bills are, are one of the best teams in the AFC, one of the best teams um, in the league. I think they're a Super Bowl favorite in a lot of people's eyes. They came up just short a season ago, what was it, like six seconds left they had to kill and, and, and the Chiefs somehow got another field goal to send it to overtime and all the, you know, crying about the overtime rules. So they were close. They would have hosted the, the Bengals in the AFC Championship game if they could have got out of Arrowhead. They're the favorites in the, the division. You also have the Miami Dolphins, who uh, there's a lot of excitement. Their, their new coach, uh, the, the previous 49ers assistant, and uh, he's considered a, an offensive whiz. Uh, the New England Patriots, in, in a real interesting situation with them, Josh McDaniels, their longtime OC, departs for the desert. He's the new coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Mac Jones in his second year. Bill Belichick towards maybe the end of his career. And uh, the New York Jets are the New York Jets. Zach Wilson uh, in his second year. Uh, uh, Sala, the head coach, um, trying to make some moves on the defensive side of the ball. But they'll, I imagine, be one of the worst teams in the AFC. So... Uh, in our first division, the AFC East, what stands out to you? The Dolphins. I mean, the Bills are the Bills. I think the Bills will win this division. I don't think there's any question about that, honestly. I will say the Bills may have handcuffed themselves slightly by going all in on Vaughn Miller, which was a very interesting signing, to say the least. Uh, might have handicapped their, uh, their payroll a little bit in the future, but... They really did need to address their defense, and they did that by getting Von Miller. I just think his injuries and his age might be a little concerning for them. But I still think they're going to win this division rather handedly. I will say, though, there's really nothing as interesting that comes to mind this offseason than the Chiefs giving up and the Dolphins receiving Tyreek Hill. I, I just think it's interesting in the sense that Tua, someone who used to have a pretty good long ball back in his days at Alabama. I, you haven't seen it very much in the NFL. Now, of course, the O-line's been a bit sketchy, and I think their run game has never been the best. I, I think the Dolphins, their defense is a little slept on. Their, their offense is a little, I guess, downplayed because of the issues with Tua and the whole trade Tua for Deshaun storylines that were going around the past couple of years but uh they're the team to watch they could be one of those teams that just come out and just take the division make it their own but i don't really see that happening i think it's the bills to lose so are you or are you not a, a Tua tunga by loa believer I, I was i definitely was i thought the tank for tua was a solid reputable movement and i think it was well deserved in the NFL so far, it's a little unfortunate what we've seen so far. I think he's getting outplayed by Ryan Fitzmagic was a Fitzpatrick <laughs> was a little surprising, but uh, I, I think Tua, you just got to give him the chance. And I think this year the Dolphins are going all in on giving him that chance, and his career will be certainly in question if it doesn't pan out in the next year or so. Mike McDaniel, the new head coach of the Dolphins, one of the younger coaches in the NFL, if not the youngest. I think he is. He's 39, so I guess right along the age of Sean McVay. But he did all those interesting things in San Francisco. If you remember watching the playoffs last year, I mean, they, they had their, their tackle 
you know, as a fullback lining up in, in motion, all this crazy stuff. They were big with the run game. I'm interested to see if they're able to take that to Miami. Um, Tyreek Hill is a weapon, but they gave up a lot to get him. Uh, I think, uh, let's see, they gave up a first-round pick, a second-round pick, two fours, and they also gave him a huge contract, uh, $43 million guaranteed. So th they put a lot of commitment in Tyreek. The reason I ask you the question about Tua, because I, I really think that the value that they're going to get out of Tyreek falls on what Tua can do. Mm -hmm. I know a lot was made out of those videos from OTAs where he couldn't hit the deep ball, whatever. I think even Tua kind of scoffed at that. But that's this is the make-or-break year for, for Tunga Vailoa. There's going to be a lot of pressure on him. But you talk about pressure at the Bills. I mean, <laughs> the, if there's one thing you don't want in the NFL, despite what Rex Ryan might tell you, it's high expectations, the pressure that comes with it. Um, they're in New York. I don't know if you, you, know, you count them as like a true New York team, New York City, but uh, the fans get fierce if things aren't going well. There's a lot of pressure on uh, Josh Allen to have an MVP-level season, but I agree with you that it's his division perhaps to win or lose. Um, and then real quickly as we wrap it up, there's not much to say about the Jets. Me and Jackson last week talked about New England to the Patriots going without an offensive coordinator, but we were talking about it as well, and I just want to get your take on this. Bill Belichick says thanks but no thanks to replacing Josh McDaniels as offensive coordinator. And the rumors I've heard, and it's just rumors that – just further the case, if it works, furthers the case that Belichick is probably the greatest coach to ever walk through the NFL. I've heard he's taking the reins with this offense, and it's interesting to see, coming from a former defensive coordinator, a, a lifetime-long defensive head coach, and he just says, oh, yeah, I can master the NFL's offense nowadays. It, it'll be interesting to see. I like Mac Jones. I think their offense got a little bit better. They took on... Oh, what is his name? They took on the former uh, Dolphins receiver this past year, Devontae Parker. Devontae Parker, they, they, they added some weapons, some much-needed weapons that caused Tom Brady to leave. But uh, I think they're just going to be mediocre. I, I don't think their defense is too special this year. I don't think their offense is too special this year. I think it's, like you said, I think his career might be coming to a wind, and uh, he's taking a risk. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big Belichick guy, but my prediction, seven, maybe eight wins with an incredibly boring offense and people uh, selling their stack, selling their stock in Mac Jones. Uh, moving on to the next division, uh, the AFC North, the, the representative in the AFC in the Super Bowl last year came from this division. That's the Cincinnati Bengals. It's hard to get a read on who the favorite is. It would, it, I guess, be hard to go against the Bengals. They bring everyone back. Uh, Jamar Chase, Joey Burrow still in those rookie deals. They've got money to spend, and they spent it. Uh, the, you know, they rebuilt the offensive line a little bit. They franchise tagged, I think, their safety uh, on the de defensive side of the ball. So they spent money, did what they needed to do. Uh, you have the Cleveland Browns, who we have no idea at this particular moment how many games Deshaun Watson is going to play. The six-game suspension that was suggested by the, uh, the mediator, uh, the, the retired federal judge, um, suggested six games based on precedent, but this is a new system with the CBA where um, the, the mediator does not get the final call. That is Roger Goodell, who's always had the final say. And the NFL, I think, wants a, a heftier suspension, so they're going to appeal this. I think at the very least, eight, ten games, I, I think the NFL would prefer to have him sit out the whole season. The reason I bring this up, if the Cleveland Browns play half a season, play a full season with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback, I think you can write them off as a contender. You have the Pittsburgh Steelers in their first year at the end of this this era. Uh, you know, the, the Triple Bs, Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, and now Ben Roethlisberger are all gone out of Pittsburgh. It's a new era 
It's going to be Mitchell Trubisky starting quarterback week one in Pittsburgh. And then you have the Baltimore Ravens. Um, they've got Lamar Jackson in the final year of his contract on his fifth-year option year. And so, uh, you know, a guy like Lamar Jackson in a contract year is scary, a guy that's already won league MVP. But uh, they're thin on the offense. They, they traded Hollywood Brown to the Cardinals, who uh, got arrested recently. And I, I don't know if he's going to play this year. But anyway, they're, they're without him. And so... This is a hard division to, to take a read on, and, and where do you kind of see this playing out? I, I think it's a two-horse race, and one of the horses is led by a quarterback. If you're a common listener of the show, I'm not too fond of Lamar Jackson. Um, Callback. Yeah, I, I, I hope we have some regular listeners on tonight. They'll understand that reference. But either way, I think it's the Bengals. I, I think it has to be the Bengals. I think the Bengals have a serious problem, though, with that franchise tag you mentioned, just Jesse Bates the third has announced that he will not play on the franchise tag. So they need to extend him. Otherwise, they lose a pretty marquee member of that secondary that the Bengals, not the best defense, but good enough to get to the Super Bowl last year. I think um, they really need him back if they want to go far again this year. The sacks were a major, major issue for Cincinnati. Uh, I think uh, Joe Burrow was sacked nine times in their win over Tennessee in the divisional rounds, I think sacked six times against the Chiefs in the AFC Championship, and, and he was harassed by the Rams uh, in the Super Bowl. Um, they, they made, as I said, they, they bought some guys, Lael Collins, Alex Kappa, but no, n neither of those guys are, are like real proven studs. They're just names that have been around a while. So that that's, to me, kind of the X factor on, on where Cincinnati goes because um, the, they certainly need to be more balanced. I think when the, they were doing the kind of passing offense that's you can only do that for a couple games if you're really hot and going to run that's not a sustainable system for a 17 game season but i don't like the competition i mean i pittsburgh between mitch trubisky and, and rookie kenny pickett i don't care how good the defense is they were boring with ben in his final seasons and i think they're going to be boring with uh a, a, either rookie or a unimpressive quarterback to say the least and i just i'll just shout it out you you teased it but i think last year you, you called Lamar Jackson, what did you call him, a rich man's Taysom Hill? So you don't think super highly of him. As I said, he has won a league MVP, but he had an injury-riddled season last year. So uh, take it or leave it really with that. This next division is probably the least interesting one in the NFL this year. That would be the AFC South. Uh, the Tennessee Titans wanted a season ago in route to uh, capturing a one seed in the AFC where they went on to lose to the Bengals in their first playoff game as they go one and done. Ryan Tannehill's back as quarterback. Mike Vrabel, uh, the coaching whiz. Derrick Henry, one of the best running backs in the NFL. They still have that that ground-and-pound attack with good defense. That's a, a good combination. You have the Indianapolis Colts trading really a disaster experiment in Carson Wentz for uh, Matt Ryan, who they trade from the Atlanta Falcons. You have the Houston Texans as they're moving away from the Deshaun Watson era. Um, it could be interesting with Davis Mills. He played well last year, but they're, they're, uh, they're, the cupboard is pretty bare in Houston. And then the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, kind of hitting the reset button. They have Trevor Lawrence in year two, but with a new coach, Dougie P, Doug Peterson, Super Bowl champ with the Eagles um, after, I think, a, a year or so sabbaticals back coaching in Duval County. So um, are you high on Tennessee, or do you see, maybe see the Colts? making a play there i think the colts have been one of the more slept on teams in the nfl the past couple of years i think when you go from a too old philip rivers to a too bad unwise carson wentz and then you go to a solid 
solid game manager in Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan can never get past that one Super Bowl, but I will say it's a massive upgrade, and this offense is very strong with that impeccable O-line. Jonathan Taylor, former Badger, got to love it. I think the Colts should walk away with this, not walk away with this division, but I think it's got to be the Colts. Their defense is still very strong. And I think the Titans took a major step back. I think their defense is shaky, usually good, but shaky. And Derrick Henry, he's Derrick Henry. I mean, he's the king. He's, he's going to rush for 1,000 yards easy, but he's going to get hurt also. And without a true passing game, they're a one-sided team, I would say, and I, I think it's got to be the Colts. Ryan Tannehill, I think, had a, a relatively good start in Tennessee, a bit of a career renaissance, but I think he's coming back down to earth and returning to what maybe he was in Miami, which is mediocre at best, but at the, you know, with the interceptions, I mean, the, Tennessee had problems going three and out as well. They couldn't sustain drives. Um, Derrick Henry's never going to be easy to stop, even if you know he's getting the ball. But, I mean, talk about a, kind of a one-dimensional attack there in Tennessee. I agree with you. I think the Colts will, will get back to form. They were great with Phillip Rivers. Then he retires. They take a step down with Wentz. And now they're back to a, a, a quarterback along those lines of, I think, I think Matt Ryan will be like a top 12 quarterback maybe in that Frank Reich offense. We'll see. Um, but from the maybe the least interesting division to the most interesting division, the AFC West, uh, you can make a really good argument that all four of these teams could be a playoff team. The Kansas City Chiefs are the Chiefs, still with Andy Reid, still with Patrick Mahomes, still with the high-flying offense. They'll be without Tyree Kill after they trade him to Miami, which we talked about. Defense, so-so, especially in the playoffs. Uh, but uh, they're probably still the favorite. They, they have been great in AFC West games. I think Patrick Mahomes, I think he's still undefeated against the Broncos, or at least at home he is. Um, you have uh, the Los Angeles Chargers, who are everyone's uh, training camp darling. They get Khalil Mack. They get J.C. Jackson, all these additions. They have uh, um, the, the quarterback, Justin Herbert, in his third season, finally trying to make that leap. He's been terrific, but can he get to the playoffs? Uh, the Denver Broncos, they traded for Russell Wilson. They kind of buy themselves back into contention, maybe a Los Angeles Angels style. Um, as they made a big splash move, they get a new coach, Nathaniel Hackett, the mastermind in that, that Green Bay offense. And then my, my favorite team in this division probably is the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, and that would mainly because they trade for the best receiver in the NFL, I think we can all agree, in Devontae Adams. And he's a huge difference maker. We saw how much he improved um, Aaron Rodgers' game. I think the defense is good. They, they get away from the John Gruden era. And I think they're major players in the AFC. What, what says you? I think we need to calm down with the fact that Devontae Adams made Aaron Rodgers better. I would say it's vice versa. One of them came from Fresno State and was not a very well-known receiver until he had the most talented quarterback of all time throwing to him. But we'll talk about the NFC North in a sec. I, I, it's got to be the Chiefs, right? I mean, the, Bron the, the, the Broncos bought their way in. I think the Broncos will be the team that gets beat on a little bit in this division. I think the Broncos will be fine. I just think they're still not that yet. And I think the Chargers did a better version of buying their way in this offseason, and I think the Chargers will make the playoffs. I don't know if they'll win the division. I think the Chargers have a very fun team. And it's all down to Herbert and the interceptions. If he can keep the interceptions down and sling the ball like he did when he was a rookie, they might win the division, honestly. The Raiders are 
I, I don't even know what to say about the Raiders. They they steal my my receiver. They steal. No, the Raiders can't win this division. They just can't. And Devontae Adams will be great because Devontae Adams is the best receiver in the NFL, without a doubt. But I just don't see it. I don't know how to say it. I think there's two teams in this division better than the Raiders. I think the Raiders got better. The Raiders are probably going to make the playoffs, honestly, just because the AFC, besides besides this division, are pretty weak. Yeah, they're not that weak, but this this division is just stacked. I, I have to go with chiefs though come january who is in the afc championship game and who represents them uh, in las vegas and uh what is it going to be super bowl 56 57 it's, it's, a, it's a very good question um it's a very very good question i would like to say the bills yeah i really would I, i'd like to say their defense will be a little bit improved at least to the point where they can hold off for another seven seconds I'll go with the Bills. I'll go with the Bills. I'm going to say Bills over Raiders in the AFC Championship. I'm just I'm buying that, that Las Vegas Raiders stock. I'm ready for them to, to be fun and everything. Um, now on to the NFC. Uh, this is another kind of boring division. Uh, the NFC East, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, you know, disappointing last couple seasons. They were one and done. In a home playoff game against the the, the 49ers, the, the the slide by Dak Prescott, um, or, or the the scramble, whatever you want to call it, I would say they're probably the favorites. You have the Philadelphia Eagles um, with Jalen Hurts in kind of his make or break year. What what is his career in Philly going to look like? They get the star receiver who we forgot to talk about, AJ Brown from Tennessee. That really kills Tennessee's passing attack, but maybe it really uh, revamps Philly's. And then you have the, the two teams, the New York Giants, who I don't think much of. They do get a new coach, uh, the offensive whiz from Buffalo, Daniel Jones, Reclamation Project, Saquon Barkley, whatever. And then you have the Washington Commanders. They trade for Carson Wentz to play quarterback, um, but I, I don't think I don't think too much of them. Um, so are you uh, buying some Dallas Cowboys stock representing the NFC East again in the playoffs? I mean this with all due respect. And all due respect to reporters and the NFC East, I just don't care. This is a bad division. End of story. The Cowboys are going to win. The Cowboys are going to probably win eight, nine games. I think the Eagles are an interesting team. They should be better. They're still not that good. I, I really, there's not much to say about this division in my eyes. I think, uh, I think the Cowboys will squeak it out. Cowboy fandom will go crazy. They're going to pull a New York Knicks and then just lose. Yeah. That's just yeah. what they're going to do. I mean, ten, 10 wins easily gets this division, whether it's Dallas or Philadelphia will remain to be seen. I mean, it's not a given that uh, Dak Prescott is going to play a full season healthy. It's not a given that Ezekiel Elliott is going to be what he's been. The offensive line that, that they've leaned on in the past is, is slowly wearing away. I think that's a factor as well. Um, but to your point, there just might not be anyone behind them that can make a real threat. Uh, the NFC North, uh, you talk about a, a, a division where it's one team's division to lose. That's the Green Bay Packers. Still with Aaron Rodgers, maybe one more year. We'll see how much longer he wants to stay. Uh, how much longer he wants to stay. That's always a, a story. But the, he loses Devonta Adams, his number one receiver. The defense is still great. There's no question about that. I saw someone wrote an article that they have the two best cover corners in the NFL. Um, they, they had a, a gut-wrenching home playoff loss to the 49ers uh, last season. Behind them, you have the Minnesota Vikings 
what is Kirk Cousins going to be? I know around here we really like Dalvin Cook and what he can do, and, and he's certainly been a, a huge piece for them. But, um, I, you know, the, another year without Stephon Diggs, they traded him before last year. Um, so I don't make much of that passing attack. I don't make much of the defense. Um, and then behind them you have the Detroit Lions and Chicago Bears. Quite frankly, I don't think either of those teams are worth really discussing at all. So um, I, I'm, I'm taking it as you're seeing your Green Bay Packers winning this one pretty easily. I would like to say easily. It might not be as easily as yours in the past. But, I mean, here's the thing about the Packers that everyone's going to sleep on. They might have one of the better one-two punches at the running back in the NFL this year. I really think A.J. Dillon is bound to have a Derrick Henry-like impact on the game. This guy's got quads out the wazoo. I mean, wow. And Aaron Jones can catch it with the best. I mean, he is a great swing pass receiver out of the backfield. And, I mean, you heard me say it before, Aaron Rodgers. Year in and year out, as a Packers fan, you hear one thing. They're Super Bowl contenders. They're not a good team, usually. They're usually, like, an okay defense, an okay supporting cast. They just happen to have Aaron Rodgers. That's what it is, again, this year. And I just think the Vikings aren't that. Their defense, which used to be their selling point, is certainly weaker. And... It'll be one of the worser years in the NFC North's history, a, typically a very good division. But I, I do see the Packers walking away with a good 10, maybe 11 wins. That's fair. That's fair. I, I mean, I, Aaron Rodgers keeps putting up these these MVP-level seasons. We'll see if he does it with Devontae Adams. I mean, what is it going to be? Marquez Valdez-Scantling is nope. number one receiver. He is with the Chiefs. We have Alan, oh my gosh. Alan Lazard That's and right. Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins in his 80th wow. season. Um, wow. So Just wonderful. Yeah, good luck with that. that. That's what I'll say. Uh, the NFC South, uh, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think... It seems like every division so far in the NFC has been this way. It's it's kind of theirs to lose. Uh, Nor the New Orleans Saints behind them. Um, Jameis Winston got hurt again in training camp, so I don't know how that's going to go. Who they have to to play quarterback behind him? Is it going to be Taysom Hill? Taysom Hill, Hill. So, yes. In their first year without Sean Payton, I'll, I'll circle back to the Bucks just real quick. I mean, it's it's been the same team. Was Tom Brady going to retire? Was he going to come back? He decides to come back couple of offensive linemen have gone down center ryan jensen is out i think tristan wharf's got carted off of practice but i i'm hoping it's not going to be too big of an issue um but this is another division where i think 10 wins probably gets at the saints uh, if winston is healthy they, they could be a threat but without i think that that would be a kind of a struggle bus for them uh the carolina panthers um they trade for baker mayfield they're, they're going to do this uh quarterback uh, you know battle out of camp between him and sam darnold whatever i don't know matt rule and probably his last year as, as panthers coach i think that could end ugly and then the atlanta falcons really starting to tear things down as they traded matt Ryan to the colts they have kyle pitts the young tight end um, but outside of that I, I can't really tell you anything exciting about the falcons so um this is kind of another easy read don't you think ah yeah, I think it's without a doubt the Bucks. Just a random thought I was just having. This, in a year or two, might be one of the worst divisions in football. It really, really? might. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, the Falcons don't have a quarterback. And I know I'm reading this off of quarterbacks right now, but quarterback is important. Falcons don't have a defense, let alone a quarterback. They have Kyle Pitts. They have a wide receiver who's suspended for a whole year. The Panthers have 
glass bones Christian McCaffrey and two bad quarterbacks with an okay defense. The Saints have an okay, pretty old defense with a pretty old offense and Jameis, famous Jameis, gotta love him, but who knows. And then the Bucks. I, you like to say the Bucks could last a little while, but the Bucks are probably just going to go as Tom Brady goes. Once Tom Brady goes, a lot of that roster is going to go, is my guess. I'm not really sure who their for sure future plan is there, but I would not be shocked if this is a pretty weak division given two, three years. The Bucks are squeezing everything they can get out of this because it's not just the, the players that are going to be gone. The fans are going to be gone <laughs> when Tom Brady leaves, too. They added, like, another section in Raymond James Stadium, and I'm thinking to myself, why are you doing this? I've been going to Bucks games for basically the last decade. They're, they are not going to have fans when Tom Brady's gone. I, I'm just going to say that. But they're, they're riding, they're, they're squeezing every bit of juice as they can out of uh, the quarterback that wears number 12. I think this is, what, his age 46 season, 45 season? He's getting up there. Um, and I, I think they'll, they'll win the division pretty handily, regardless of, of maybe some injuries on the offensive line. Quickly, the NFC West. This is another uh, spicy division. The Rams defending Super Bowl champs. They're back. Matt Stafford, the QB, maybe has an elbow issue that they're going to have to keep their eye on, but he's notorious for playing through injuries. I think that'll be fine. Aaron Donald comes back after maybe contemplating retirement. All the big names are back. Cooper Cup is back and maybe coming for the MVP award if he can follow up his performance. The Sean McVay system, all of that defense, very good. The whole team is very good. And, and I think they're the favorite to win the NFC, at least in my eyes. You have the Arizona Cardinals with Kyler Murray getting a new contract and all the stories, all the headlines around that. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is suspended, I think, the first six games of the season with PEDs. So that's huge. Uh, Hollywood Brown also get it, got arrested. I don't. It was criminal speeding, which I don't know if there's going to be suspension that comes along with that. Uh, if not, potentially jail time. I don't. Depending on what the Arizona laws are going to be for that. So you're looking at maybe without your top two receivers, which is tough. Um, and the San Francisco 49ers major players as well. Um, some Trey Lance, this is an interesting story that we brushed over. Jimmy G is going to be traded somewhere. I don't know where, I, unless a team has a quarterback go down with injury. I don't see where Jimmy Garoppolo fits in, but the 49ers are done with him. Uh, they're going to start Trey Lance at quarterback and kind of run that. Um, kind of, I'm, I'm imagining that that read option early 2010s, Colin Kaepernick offense where they run the ball a lot and play good defense. And then you have the Seattle Seahawks. They trade Russell Wilson. I think the Pete Carroll era is done. Uh, they got Drew Locke starting at quarterback, which even the U.S. Open took uh, open season on on Twitter. So this one I think is pretty simple with the Rams winning the division, but maybe one or two wild card threats uh, in there as well. I'd like to say the Cardinals are a good football team. They're a bit old on the secondary and defensive side of things. Um, they're an interesting number. And the 49ers really only seem to have the Green Bay Packers number. So as long as they don't face off in the playoffs, I don't see them doing too much with Trey Lance at QB. I do like the idea of a future of Trey Lance. I just don't think it'll happen in year one unless he just comes out like Mahomes did after sitting the bench for, was it a full year? Yeah, it was a full year. Um, I, it has to be the Rams. They have a very good defense. They have a very good offense. Best coach in the NFL, arguably. It's... Uh, it's going to be a good division, though. People will sleep on the 49ers. People will sleep on the Cardinals. And both of those teams were pretty solid teams in the NFL last year. And, yeah, the Rams won it all. But 
That doesn't mean they'll do it again. They brought everyone back, except for Odell, but they arguably got better at the receiving position still. Um, I, it'll be a good division. The NFC West is probably going to be the best division in the NFC like it was last year. And it'll probably have two wildcard teams. So give me your NFC Championship game and, and who wins it. It's got to be Green Bay because Green Bay goes to every NFC Championship game. <laughs> Not last year. Oh, that is true. Well, Rodgers will do it somehow and then lose it again uh i'll go i do sincerely say that i will say packers and i will say do i want to say the Rams? yeah it'll be packers rams yeah i would say i'll go um tampa bay bucks at los angeles rams in a rematch of one of the greatest nfl games i've ever seen that playoff game last year um and i'll uh, i'll say in tom brady's final year uh, he gets out of that game and goes to the super bowl so um, as we wrap it up, Super Bowl 57, who wins it all in 2022? I, I can't pick a repeat, so I guess I'm going with the Bills. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> who would have thought that? Uh, I, I did not anticipate that coming into this show, but I like the Bills. Let's go Bills. And I'll, I'll ride the wave. I'll say uh, Tampa Bay Bucks over Buffalo Bills. Tom Brady goes out on top as he should, winning it'll be his eighth Super Bowl, and, and that's how I see things playing out. And Las Vegas, Bucks, bills that would be a fun game for sure. But uh, that is it for this week on Tomahawk Talk. For uh, Max Rundy, I have been William Haynes. Our producer has been Jack Oliara. We'll be back next Monday. Uh, yeah, next Monday at the same time, talking some FSU sports, hopefully some new developments there, and getting you ready for the start of the, the 2022 football season. For the Knowles, you are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.